Um, well, let me pray for us, and we're going to look into God's Word together. Lord, I pray that uh, as we open your word now, that through your spirit you would speak to us. We need to hear from you today. Align our hearts with your heart, our thoughts with your thoughts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, after last weekend's uh, service, someone came up to me and said, are you ever going to preach again? Aren't you supposed to be like the pastor around here? And so I appreciate uh, the sentiment behind that. And it's true that I do this little thing every summer called a study break, and I'm out of the preaching rotation during that time. But I just want to reinforce that I also strongly believe in the concept of team teaching. Um, it is biblical. There's a biblical precedent for it. The church, the very healthy church at Antioch, for example, was taught by a team of preachers and teachers. I also think that it's healthy for a congregation to hear God's word filtered through different personalities and experiences and life stages and not just one. And uh, beyond that, I think team teaching can help prevent a congregation from developing an unhealthy dependence on one person or magnifying one kind of gifting over and above other kinds of giftings or worse yet, put a gifted speaker on a pedestal and elevate him to the status of celebrity pastor. That never goes well. It just doesn't. There's only one celebrity around here that we want to put on a pedestal, and his name is Jesus Christ. So that's what we're all about. And so I'm committed to it, and I just think it's healthy a healthy practice for a local church. So here we are at week four. We're finishing up a series called Life on Mission. And uh, we've heard from Ed Travers and Keith Moulton and Rich Mendola. And, and today I'm here to cap off this series, and I want to do it this way. I want to ask this question. As we talk about living our lives on mission, what's the mission? What exactly is the mission that Jesus has entrusted to us? And so in your worship folder, as you know, there's a little study outline you can pull out of there and you can take some notes if you'd like to do that. What is the mission that God is calling his people to live out? And that's an important question because if we're not clear on that, if we're hazy on our mission, we could end up spending lots of time, effort, and energy on things that are off-center, that miss the bullseye. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to do that. I don't think you do either. There's a big debate going on in the larger evangelical world about the mission of the church, and we don't have time to go into all that, but I would simply contend this, that if we want to get crystal clear on what our mission is as followers of Jesus Christ, all we need to do is to look at the the last words of our Savior before he left and ascended up into heaven. Heard of famous last words? Well, that's what we're talking about today. The last words of Jesus Christ, famous last words, they're recorded for us in each of the Gospels, in the New Testament, and also in the book of Acts. And I think when we put them all together, we can clearly discern the bullseye of God's mission for his people. You perhaps heard it called the Great Commission, or the Prime Directive, or as I like to call it these days, the King's Commission. And so let's listen in on Jesus' final recorded conversations with his 11 disciples before he ascended back up into heaven. Let me read them for you. Follow along with me. First from Matthew, chapter 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Mark's account 
reads like this, chapter 16. Afterward, he, Jesus, appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table. He rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Luke's account reads like this. And then he, Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Here's John's account. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then here's the Acts account, chapter 1. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8, here's what, here's what you're to focus on. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Well, I think if you're a true believer in Jesus here today, hearing his final words just does something to you. Go, make disciples. Proclaim the gospel to the whole world. Be my witnesses. This is the last commission given by our great king, King Jesus. I want us to understand it more clearly today. I think from these accounts, these conversations, we can bring them all together. And I see at least seven features of the king's commission that I want us to get today so that we're clear on what he called us to do. First, let's talk about his authority. The authority of the king. The king's commission is based on his universal authority over all things. Look at Matthew's account again. And just envision Jesus there standing on that mountain, looking into the faces of the, of the men that he had spent the last three years with. He looked at them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. That sounds like something that a king would say. I've got all authority everywhere. Well, and that makes sense, right? Because Jesus is a king. King Jesus. By the way, that's what his name Christ means. Jesus Christ. Some people think that Christ is his last name, like Steve Benninger, Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title. The Greek word is Christos. It means anointed one. Anointed one. King. 
Jesus the king. Remember that a thousand years before Jesus ever arrived on the scene in Bethlehem, God had promised to the nation of Israel that he would send them a king. A king, a descendant of the famous King David who would come to usher in the good life for his people. A truly righteous ruler. I think this is an innate human longing, don't you? We just want a righteous ruler to usher in the good life, do we not? That's universal. All of humanity longs for that. Just think about the election cycle that we're in and the commercials by political candidates that you see on television about, what, every eight seconds or so coming on here in Ohio. And when you see those, just remind yourself that we long for a righteous ruler to come and usher in the good life. And oh, oh, how every candidate promises and makes, you know, appeals to us based on that. And oh, how disappointed we are time after time after time after time. Because you know what? The truly righteous ruler hasn't come yet, but he's coming. And he's going to usher in the truly good life, life with God. He's going to set before us. He's the king. You know, throughout his ministry, Jesus claimed kingly authority for himself all during those three years. He said, you know what? I have authority to forgive sins, stunned people. I have authority to heal, he said. He said, I have authority to lay down my life and take it back up again if I want to. He said, I have authority to give eternal life to anyone I want. John 5 says, he said, I've been given authority to judge all of mankind and reign over the earth. Remember at his trial, Pilate looks Jesus in the face and says, are you a king? Remember how Jesus answered? Yep. It is, as you say, this very matter of fact, King Jesus. And kings have authority, do they not? The authority to issue commands and expect them to be carried out and and obeyed. And so just before giving his great commission, his kingly commission to his men, he first establishes his authority by saying, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. That's kingly authority. Second, notice the intent. King's commission reveals that Jesus intended for his followers to do what? To spread his message and win new followers for himself. What's the king's commission? Matthew's account says, go make disciples. Mark's account says, go proclaim the gospel. Luke said, repentance and forgiveness of sins must be proclaimed in Jesus' name. John heard Jesus say, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And in Acts, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. That's it. That's the great commission. That's the king's commission. Spread my message and win more followers of mine. In one sense, you could say that Jesus was simply commissioning his followers to carry on his mission that he had begun while on the earth. Now, not his mission to hang on a cross and die for our sins. That was unique to Jesus. Only Jesus could die for the sins of other people because he was the truly innocent one. Not that part of it, but the part of Jesus' mission that involved winning loyal subjects into his kingdom. You know how we talk about people bowing their knee to King Jesus and putting their trust and their faith in him? That's what Jesus called people to. 
And that's also what he commissioned his followers to call people to. Now notice something here. Go make disciples. Say that word. Disciples. That is a clarifying word. That's an important word. What is a disciple? Well, in that culture, a disciple was someone who had committed himself or committed herself to be mentored and trained by a rabbi, by a teacher. A disciple was a lifelong learner who was devoted at sit, devoted to sitting at the feet of a teacher and learning from him with the ultimate goal of becoming like their teacher one day. A fully developed disciple would hope to emulate their rabbi teacher in every way. So Jesus took hold of that cultural concept of disciple and elevated it to a whole nother level. As Keith reminded us last weekend, Jesus called his disciples to total commitment, complete surrender, even to the point of being willing to what? To lay down our lives for our king. When you pull together all of Jesus' statements in the Gospels about being his disciple, I believe you could summarize it by saying this. A disciple of Jesus is a believer in Jesus who is increasingly treasuring Jesus and his gospel above everything else. Supreme treasure, Jesus. That's what's going on in the heart of a disciple. And so I believe when Jesus looked at his 11 men and said, go make disciples, in effect, he was saying, look, I'm not interested in attracting crowds of adoring fans who love me for my miracles because I can create bread out of nothing and feed their stomachs. That's not what I'm all about. I'm interested in followers, not fans. I'm interested in disciples, not just decisions, as one man said. That was his intent. By the way, we should probably say here that only disciples can make disciples. That makes sense, right? You can't take someone else further along on this journey than you are yourself. And so when you think about it, the King's Commission is a call first to be a disciple and then go help other people become disciples. Pretty simple when you think about it. Be a disciple, help others become disciples of Jesus. And that commission is based on Jesus' authority as king over all. But you know, when I looked at those Great Commission passages again, it was very hard to miss the scope of this whole thing. The scope of it. Because the King's Commission tells us that God's plan involves winning disciples from all people groups all around the world, doesn't it? Go make disciples of all nations. Now, we, when we think of nations, we think of countries around the world, but the word is ethna in the Greek, ethna, ethnic groups. Go make disciples from among every ethnic group, or what's often called these days people groups, people who share a common language, a common culture. There's thousands of people groups all around the world. Go make disciples of all people groups. Mark records that Jesus said, go into all the world. Proclaim the gospel in all of creation. Proclaim his name to all nations, Luke wrote. Go to the ends of the earth. All nations. And when I hear that, I immediately think of two things. First thing I think of is God's promise to Abraham way back 2,000 years before Christ came that through Abraham's offspring, 
all nations of the earth would be blessed. Jesus was the seed of Abraham. And then I think of that scene in Revelation 5 where King Jesus is in heaven and and around him are worshipers and he's being worshipped by people from every tribe, every tongue, every language, and every nation. And when I think of that, I realize once again that God's heart is huge. It's deep and it's wide. You know, God loves you today. God loves you. He also loves the man in the African bush. He also loves the the Japanese businessman and the children of Africa. God loves everybody. Everybody. God desires to form a family for himself from among every people group on the planet. A multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-colored family redeemed by Jesus and united together by their shared love for the Son of God. That's what he's doing. So he says, go to all nations. Well, did they? Did those first disciples obey the king's commission? Well, they did. They spread his message everywhere, it says. In fact, the book of Acts chronicles the spread of the gospel outward like ripples in a pond. First to Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Within 30 years of Jesus giving that king's commission, Paul would write that the gospel of Jesus was bearing fruit in the whole known world. They did it in their generation. What about our generation? You ever thought about this? Are there any 21st century people groups that do not know the gospel, that have never heard of Jesus Christ? That he died for their sins, suffered and bled and died for their sins, paid the price? Is there anybody like that on the planet? You might be startled to know that even in our world that's been flattened out and and shrunken by technology, missiologists tell us that there are still more than 6,000 people groups that are basically unreached with the gospel. No Christian witness. No Christian churches. Few, if any, Christians. The Bible not translated into their language. In fact, if you go to joshuaproject.net, you'll see a color-coded map that shows this in a very striking way. Those regions that are in red over there are regions where there's still little or no gospel witness. Maybe you've heard of the 1040 window. That's that region over there in India and Southeast Asia and parts of Africa. Africa. So many unreached people groups, no Christian witness, no Bible in their own language. Some never heard the name of Jesus before. I'm convicted that as a Midwestern suburban church that has been exceedingly blessed, we should not be doing nothing about unreached people groups. I think Jesus would want us to pray and explore and strategize about how to be more involved in efforts to evangelize the unreached people groups in the world. I'm encouraging our missions team to explore that, and I encourage you to do so as well. Think about that. Pray about it. Let's see how the Lord leads us. One way some churches are doing this is they're adopting an unreached people group. Adopting one and then starting to research and find out about that people group. What language do they speak? What, what's their culture like? And, and just beginning to pray, God, send somebody to that people group with your gospel message and just embracing them and 
praying that in time God would send someone from that congregation to go to that people group. Wouldn't that be awesome? So we're praying about this, and, and let's, let's seek God's direction. And if you want your heart stirred up even more on this topic, go to t4g.com and listen to David Platt's message from the T4G conference this year, and you'll just want to drop everything and go. <laughs> so good. Well, think about being part of a community of redeemed people from all nations. You know, one day a great feast is going to be held and there's going to be such a diverse crowd in attendance that the only explanation for how such a group could peacefully convene will be the blood of the Lamb sprinkled on all of us who are there. That's the only explanation. My African brothers, Alfred and Peter, and my African sisters, Olive and Irene, will be there, along with Davis and Betty and other Ugandans who know Jesus. My Indian friends, who I met back in 09, are going to be there as well. And some Spanish-speaking Costa Ricans who've come to know Christ will be there. And now my new Chinese friend, Kwa Ji Liu, who I just met yesterday at the airport and took her to her housing down on Ohio State campus. I'm praying she'll be there and be part of that multicolored, multi-ethnic presence at the banquet of the great king. Hopefully there'll be some Americans there too, huh? I hope. I hope. Been watching the Olympics these days? A lot of fun, huh? You, you look at that and you, and you see that multicolored, multi-ethnic group of athletes there. But you know what? That pales in comparison to the kaleidoscope of color that will be present at the banquet of the great king. It's going to be amazing. Incredible. Bringing unity out of diversity honors our king in a unique way and puts his glory on display as the great reconciler of mankind. So Jesus told his followers, go, spread my message and win new, new disciples, not from just among people like you, but every people group on the planet. Spread my message. And what's the message? What's the message that he wanted spread? Number four. King's Commission tells us that the message to be proclaimed that makes people into his disciples is the gospel. The gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ and his finished work for us and the need for repentance and the offer of forgiveness in Jesus' name. You knew I was going to talk about the gospel, didn't you? I mean, it's the message. Mark and Luke say it so clearly. Mark wrote, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Luke wrote, Jesus said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. That's the message. The gospel of Christ, the announcement that King Jesus has come in the flesh, lived the perfect life that none of us could live. And then wore the sins of the world as he hung on that cross and suffered and bled and died for us. And then rose triumphantly from the grave and ascended back up into heaven. That all who repent and believe in him will be forgiven and saved and brought into his kingdom to live under his gracious rule. That's the gospel. And if you want to truly make disciples of Jesus, the gospel is the message that must be proclaimed. In fact, I would say there is no real disciple-making apart from proclaiming and demonstrating the truth of the gospel. 
And that's why I've come to the conviction these last three years that the gospel needs to be at the center of everything we do, every ministry we're engaged in. It's the only message with the power to transform people's lives. Jesus' gospel should be our main message, the main thing. And of course, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's what we're seeking to do. gospel is the message at the heart, the heart of the King's Commission. So go make disciples, he said. Spread my message. How do you make disciples? Is there a, did he give us any sort of a process for knowing what he meant and how to carry it out? Well, he did. See, number five, the King's Commission instructs us that local and global disciple-making involves Jesus' followers being sent, going, proclaiming, witnessing, baptizing, and teaching the commands and ways of Christ. When you take all those accounts and synthesize them together, that's what you see. There's a process that he laid out. And when you read the book of Acts, you'll discover that's exactly what those first disciples did after Jesus left. They embraced the king's commission to be sent. They started to go. They proclaimed the gospel wherever they went, witnessing to what they had seen in the life of Jesus. And then they baptized those who had received their message. And baptism is the badge, isn't it? And then they gathered those fresh, new, baptized believers into local congregations and taught them the commands and the ways of Christ so that those new disciples could have a pattern to follow so they could turn around and do the same thing with other people. That's how it spread. Disciples making disciples. In a few years, someone accused them of turning the whole world upside down in the name of Jesus. It's interesting, though. This summer I read some church history, and, and what I saw is that as things got more and more removed from that original commission, things got more and more diluted as well. In some areas, Christians lost sight of the king's commission and got all focused on other things, even some good things, just not the bullseye of what he'd call us to. So when that happens, what's the remedy? Well, the remedy is now what it was then. Repentance, to turn away from being distracted and come back to the king's commission, to reclaim the original pattern given by the king, being sent, going, proclaiming, witnessing, baptizing, and teaching the ways of Jesus. I'll talk in a few minutes a little bit more about how practically that can apply to us. But don't miss the next feature of the King's Commission because for all of this to really happen, it takes power. Supernatural power. And Jesus offered that, didn't he? See, the King's Commission tells us that carrying out our mission will require the empowering of who? The Holy Spirit. How many of you have ever tried to, to witness to somebody about Jesus, to say a word about Jesus to someone? Okay, Many, many of us. How many of you have ever tried to do that without a conscious dependence upon the power of the Holy Spirit? How'd that go? <laughs> it just it doesn't go well. It feels forced, doesn't it? It feels awkward. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of one of those, you know, and it felt like you were being manipulated. This is not what Jesus called us to. King Jesus was very clear in his commission. Luke records, and behold, the words of Jesus, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, 
but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. In Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses. In other words, guys, do not attempt any of this until you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Wait until you are empowered. And so those first century disciples did that. After the Spirit came upon them in power on the day of Pentecost, they became bold witnesses for Jesus, didn't they? Powerfully proclaiming the message that the Messiah King had come and lived and died and rose from the grave in fulfillment of prophetic Scripture. You know, that was an unpopular message in that day in the city of Jerusalem. There was a price to pay in terms of government persecution and even being alienated by family members. Those people were spirit-filled disciples. So their primary allegiance was to who? Was to Jesus Christ, King Jesus. And their boldness in preaching the gospel wherever they went was truly astonishing. You know what? I want that. I want that for me. I want that for my family. I want that for you. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with boldness. Everywhere you go, as you go, saying, open up doors of conversation, Lord. I want to talk about Jesus. You know, there's a prayer you can pray confidently that God will answer. Fill me up, Holy Spirit. Fill me up. Empower me so that I can speak boldly about Jesus Christ and glorify Him. He will answer that prayer. Empty me of me. Fill me up with you. Give me boldness to speak. Open up doors to share the message. As you and I progressively yield more and more of our lives to the Holy Spirit, we're going to find a boldness in sharing the message that can't be explained by our personality. In fact, sometimes it'll go contrary to your personality. People will see your passion and they'll go, Whoa, I've never seen you that passionate before. And you're like, well, it's Jesus, you know. This is, this is who I'm all about. It's a beautiful thing. Well, the final piece of the commission, the king's commission, was a promise, a wonderful promise. Jesus stated it at the end of Matthew 28. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's the promise of his presence. I'm going to be with you in a unique way. You know, i got to say, I have never felt the closeness of Jesus like I do when I'm telling others about Jesus. It's like he's right there. In fact, sometimes I feel like when I've been witnessing to someone, it's almost like I've had an out-of-body experience, like I can pull out of myself. You ever had this happen? And kind of watch myself talking to this person about Jesus with, with animation and power and passion. It's like, whoa, I didn't know I even knew that stuff that I'm saying. It's a beautiful thing. It's a result of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus Christ to those who are living their lives on mission for Him. Glorious thing. And so we can have confidence as we set out to live our lives for the King's commission that we are supported and encouraged by the King's own authority and power and yes, His very presence to the end of the age. You know, I have a friend who as much as anybody I know lives his life for the King's commission for this. He bleeds Jesus. Now, he does have down days. I've been with him on some of those days. I mean, he's a real guy. But he always seems to bounce back. And most of the time, he's on mission, 
praying for, seeking out, seizing every opportunity to speak a word about Jesus in places where a word for Jesus desperately needs to be spoken. I love my friend. I've been with him when he's talked to strangers about Jesus and when he's talked to friends. I've been with him in restaurants where we're ordering and he'll say to the, to the server, hey, we're going to be praying and giving thanks for our food in a moment. Could we include you in our prayer time and time again? I listen to him tell me story after story of spiritual conversations that God opens up. A grandpa here, a student here, a young couple over here at a coffee shop. And when he talks about Jesus or about sharing Jesus, his eyes light up, he gets all animated, just words start tumbling out of his mouth, he loses all sense of time. <laughs> and usually he ends with something like, I just want people to know this man. I'm convinced that if they could just see the beauty of Jesus Christ, they'll want Him. I envy my friend. I want that. God's used Him to encourage me to live my life more on mission for God. Well, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together in a few moments, but just before we do this, I want to encourage all of us that every single last one of us can be involved in the King's Commission. You can. You can. In fact, the king has called us to do that locally, right here at home in Gahanna, Ohio, and Franklin County, and also globally. In fact, one guy put those two words together and coined a new term, glocal. (laughs) Global and local. Glocal. The king has commissioned us to share his message glocally. In fact, I think that one evidence that the gospel of Christ is dropping from head to heart is that you will want to be involved in the king's commission increasingly. In fact, eventually people might have to hold you back because your passion is strong. say, well, how can I be involved? Well, there's at least four ways. You can pray. Place to start. You can pray. Start praying. God, send someone. Send someone to my friend. Send someone to my uncle, my grandfather. Send someone to this group, to that unreached people group. God, didn't Jesus tell us to pray that way? Send Pray the Father that He might send laborers into His harvest field. Pray. You can pray. You can prepare. What I mean by that is you can become more equipped yourself. You can learn the gospel on a deeper level so that when the door of conversation does open, you're ready. It's on the tip of your tongue. You're ready. That's why I am excited about SOMA partnering with Porterbrook and starting, that's starting up in a month or so. It's going to help more of us get prepared and equipped for wherever Jesus sends us. You can pray, you can prepare, you can give. What? Yeah, you can give your money. We want to do better at being a sending church, and that's going to require all of us to re-examine our financial priorities in light of the King's Commission. Where is the King's Commission on your list of financial priorities? Is it at or near the top? Is it buried down in the list somewhere? Is it down in the cellar? Is it even on your list of financial priorities? We can give so that others can go. Some of us, I believe, should give much, much more than we currently do for the sake of the King's commission. You can pray, you can prepare, you can give, and some can go. You know that? Go. Go on a short-term missions trip. See what the Spirit of God does in you when you go. Talk to somebody who's been. See how it changed them. See God use you. 
But here's how I want to finish up. I want to give you one very practical, door-opening, I hate to use the word tactic. How about thing? That you can consider to live your life more on mission for God. I learned this from my friend, and I'm, I'm seeing God now use it in my life and in others' lives, and it can be amazingly fruitful. Are you ready? Here it is. Pray with lost people. Pray with unsaved, unbelieving people. Pray with them. You say, you hear that and go, what? They're lost. They don't know the Lord. Exactly. Pray with them. You know what I found? Here's what I found. If you're a good listener, people will share their problems with you. In fact, even if you're not a very good listener, People will often share their problems with you. You know, most people are irked about something, right? The economy, their job, their spouse, whatever. And they'll gladly share that with you if you listen. But what if, instead of listening to that coworker's problems at the lunch counter, instead of saying, yeah, my husband's a jerk too, what if you said, you know what? Could I, could I pray for you? I, I like praying for people. And I can tell this is really bothering you, and I would love the opportunity to just pray with you. Would that be okay? Oh, that can be a beautiful thing. I've been doing this. I've been praying with people in restaurants and airports and on planes and on my neighbor's front lawn and in living rooms. Just ask them, just saying, you know, I like to pray for people. Would it be okay if I just prayed for you? Now, you don't pray for like 30 minutes, you know, and go all over. Just short. Never once... Never once have I had someone, that when I offered that, have someone say, No! You're a loser! I don't want any prayer! I've... It hasn't happened. More often, pray for someone and they'll, they'll lift their eyes up and they're beaming. You know, some people have never, ever been prayed for in their life. I think the girl we prayed with yesterday, I don't, she didn't know what prayer was. And sometimes people look up and you'll see some tears. Praying with lost people does so many awesome things. It communicates, you matter to me. You matter to God. I have a relationship with God. You know, sometimes in my prayer, I'll try to just remember to just thank God for giving me access to him in prayer through the blood sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. When you can communicate the gospel when you're praying. And it communicates to that person that God desires to come to their aid. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So, can I just encourage you to ask God to open up doors for you to pray with unsaved, unbelieving, lost people. And if you do, email me and let me know, and and I'll join you in praying that God will work in that person's life in a deep, deep way. King's Commission. Are you living your life on mission? Are you? This is what he called us to do. Go, proclaim the gospel, make disciples of all nations, and my authority and my power and my presence is right there with you. Let's pray together. So we're going to come into the Lord's presence at His table called communion, the Lord's table. It's a a ceremony that commemorates the death, the sacrifice of our Savior Jesus Christ. And it as you begin to prepare your heart for that, I'm going to ask you to just think about the message, what you heard this morning. 
Because I believe God's speaking to many of you. Maybe as you think about that, you'd say, you know what? For me right now, it's more about being a disciple. I mean, maybe you're thinking this way. That's where I'm at. It's hard to think about helping others become disciples. I need to be, you know, changes need to take place in my life so that I'm following Jesus more closely. And if that's you, maybe you'd say, Steve, include me in your prayer, and I'd love to. Would you lift your hands? That's me. I need to be a disciple of Jesus. You can put your hands down, many of us. And I will. And maybe you'd say, well, Steve, pray for me that I'll see myself more as a missionary to the people around me. I don't want to, I do want to live my life on mission for God. I do want my life to count. Pray for me. Would you lift your hands? God would use me. I will. You can put your hands down. And maybe there are some here today who would say, you know what? I need Jesus Christ to be my Savior, my Lord, my King. I really need someone to just come alongside me and explain how that can happen in me. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I'd like to include you in my prayer as well. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? King Jesus, thank you. Thanks for being the king that we're all longing for. The truly righteous ruler who will come and usher in the good life for us. We look forward to that. And we know we can live in a measure of that even now. And Lord, as we come to your table and we will take the little wafer that represents your body and we will remember it was crushed. Your body was crushed for our sins. Thank you for being our substitute. And then we'll dip it into the cup of juice which represents your blood shed to form a new covenant that all who repent and believe will be saved. Through your Spirit, would you meet us in a special way at your table this morning? Lord, for those who are saying, I just I need to be a disciple of Christ. I need to be a follower. There's some changes that need to happen. Would you reveal to them the pathway that you have for them? And Lord, maybe they could come and be prayed with by one of our prayer partners and just be given insight in, into what that means. Lord, for those of us who really do want to live our life on mission for you, would you give us the grace to do that? Open our eyes. There's opportunities every day that cross our paths, and sometimes we miss it because we're not looking. Lord, we want to share that which is in us, and we pray that you would open our eyes to that. And Lord, for those several who said today, I, I, I just need Jesus to be my Savior and Lord and King, would you give them the courage to come and And before they participate in your table, Lord, to come and talk with a prayer partner about what that means and ask, how can I get in on this? And so we worship you now at your table. In your name.